saying, hey, the church, not only are we going to participate with the ARs come on Easter offering, not only are we going to be a cooperative program, but we're going to shift some emphasis towards reaching the nations in the city of Cincinnati. And so uh, I'm going to show you this video, and you'll see uh, a part of the story of the pastor that I was talking to while I was up there. So. My name is Adam. I'm from Georgia. Bibles. You can follow along with me on the big up verse 8. We read all the way through 
witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you, also, who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God revealed from faith for it. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. This is God's word. First thing I want to see this morning is that Paul moves to a gospel responsibility. There's a gospel responsibility that takes place. Now that he has received the gospel, now that there has been a transformation in his life, he now carries this responsibility with it. So those who have received the gospel now carry the responsibilities of the gospel. Meaning not only Paul, but everyone who has received the gospel now carries with him a responsibility. There's a responsibility placed on your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ to carry the gospel to Paul. He says, I feel like there is this responsibility placed on me. He's going to give us two gospel responsibilities that drive his affections and his actions. So the first one there is the gospel responsibility of mutual participation with the saints. There is a responsibility that I have to be a participant with the saints, mutually participating together. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, that, and asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Let me pause right there. He says, listen, I may not have made it there in person, but I want you to know that I have not ceased to pray for you, that I am continually praying for you, I am excited to hear what I'm hearing about you, and so I'm praying. As those who have received the gospel, there is a responsibility placed for our lives to pray for the saints. As you look around this room, as you see brothers and sisters in Christ, you may know certain things that are happening in their life that they may have shared with you in confidence. They may be struggling in certain areas of their walk with the Lord. They may be struggling in their homes, in their finances. I don't know what it is, but as you walk in and you see their face, you are struck with this obligation and this responsibility of, I have got to lift them up to the Lord because God has got to do something in their life. Am I right? There's this responsibility we carry if I need to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I see them hurting. I see them wandering off the path. And God, I need you to step in and stop it. This is what mutually encouraging the body looks like. It is a responsibility of those who are received. As you look around this room, are there people right now that you're lifting up in your mind? God, be with them right now. Prolong the seed. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So Paul then continues with, I can't, I'm praying for you, but I cannot wait to see you. I cannot wait to be with you so that I can impart some spiritual gift to you. You may not realize this, but if you have received the gospel, if you received Jesus Christ in your life, and you've also received the spiritual gift, and 
Every single one of us has been given a gift for the mutual encouraging of the saints. And he says, look, I want to go because I know God wants to use me and how he's gifted me to encourage you. Let me ask you, are you coming to church willing to say, I know God's given me a spiritual gift and I'm going to use it to encourage the saints? He says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What a beautiful thought. And he says, listen, I know I have a spiritual gift, but I don't necessarily have a spiritual gift that you have. And so when we come together, I'm going to give to the Lord what I desperately need because you've been given this gift, and I've been given this gift. And as we come together, we're going to mutually encourage one another the Lord. We're going to share in this thing together. There's the gospel responsibility of sharing with the saints in participation together. So mutually encouraged is done by participating and gathering together with humility to serve and be served. Paul is coming. This is the superhero, right? It's, it's the uh, apostle with the, with the superhuman, uh, superman coat, right? And his cape going in the wind. It's, it's Paul. But he's saying, listen, I need what you have for my work as well. I'm coming humbly to serve. But I know God also wants to use me in your life. As we come into the body of Christ, as we come and we gather together for mutual participation together, we come willing to serve. As you come here today, you come, I'm coming to church to serve. I know that God's given me a gift and I'm coming to serve. I'm here to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm here to come alongside them, but also I've come because I need to be served. There are areas in my life that I, I'm struggling in, and I know that God's given them a spiritual gift that I don't have, and I need that to be poured into my life. The church gathers to serve one another and to serve by one another. So to neglect this communal understanding of faith is to neglect the key aspect of faith to what Paul's saying here is, I'm praying. And I'm longing to be. Because to neglect the opportunity to be there is to neglect the obedience that has been placed on my life. I have a responsibility to gather together. So there's one. The next gospel responsibility is this the gospel responsibility of being purposefully obligated to preach the gospel. So a gospel filled body of believers obediently encourages one another, which we just talked about, and it also evangelizes others. There's a gospel responsibility both to the church and to those who desperately need to know the gospel. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to our parents, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is eager to preach the gospel that he has received because he is looking forward to a harvest. So he mentions two harvests that take place. The two harvests mentioned in the harvest of fruitful evangelism and the harvest of fruitful encouragement and the harvest of righteousness that take place. Jesus alludes to the first one here, the harvest of evangelism, when he says this in Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Obligated. It can also be translated indebted. We owe people the gospel. We are indebted to people 
Those who have received the gospel are indebted to preach the gospel. We cannot sit on the knowledge of the gospel because other things on our schedule seem more important and satisfied. We're obligated. There's two ways to be in debt. One is, I lend you $100 and you're indebted to me until you give that $100 back. You know who you are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, second would be someone gives you $100 to give to someone else. And so you're indebted until you pass that $100 along. So this is kind of the indebted or the obligation that, that Paul's referring to. So let's up this illustration just a little bit. Imagine someone has given you $1 million to provide food, water, and clothing to an orphanage in a war-torn country. You've just been given $1 million to give to this orphanage that without this money, they will surely perish. You, however, decide that you will sit on that money until a more convenient time to travel, or you will wait until you feel more comfortable. This doesn't change the fact that you are indebted to them, and the longer you hold on to it, the longer you procrastinate and push it off, the more pressing the time comes. We have received something far greater than a million dollars. We've received the gospel. A matter of life and death. A matter of heaven and hell. A matter of having your sins washed and still being under the condemnation and the, and the crushing blow of sin. And so often we sit. We sit and we wait for a more opportune time. We in comfort. It reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Jesus tells this parable, and it's in a list of parables where he's talking about the fact that he will come again. It says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another he gave two, and to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but the one who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, he, he also who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scattered no seed. 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story, this parable that Jesus tells, we can clearly see that there's an obligation on the servants. That the servants are indebted to the master. The master being Christ and we being his servants. As Matthew Henry says it, when Christ went to heaven, he was as a man traveling into a far country. That is, he went with a purpose to be away a great while. When he went, he took care to furnish, furnish his church with all things necessary for it during his personal absence. Oh, you have a responsibility, church. You have been given much. You've been given a gift that is there for mutually encouraging the body. You've also been given the gospel to share with those who desperately need it. There are two harvests that we get to participate in. And there's a harvest of souls and there's also a harvest of righteousness. But being lazy, lazily hiding our gospel responsibility is as wicked as losing the gospel message of grace altogether. Sitting on it, sitting on the good news is wickedly disobedient. The gospel hasn't been trusted to you for the reaping of someone else. Oh, the laborers are few. We have a gospel responsibility. Number two, the gospel revealed. There's a responsibility in our life, and we would pray that the gospel would be revealed in our life. Verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Oh, Paul here, not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. What a remarkable line. This really, this section of verses serves as a thesis statement for the entire letter. If we think that our culture is becoming more and more hostile towards the gospel, can you imagine what the first century believers and Christians thought in their culture? Especially in Rome, as Christians are being thrown into the Colosseum while they're being ripped apart limb by limb by lions, while they're being persecuted by Emperor Nero. You're thinking, oh, we might get shamed here if we carry the gospel, they were being killed there. You see, those who are not ashamed of the gospel will be shamed for carrying the gospel. Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll gladly wear the gospel. I'll gladly proclaim it. I'll gladly take all that comes with it because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, he writes this, but as servants of God, that's who we are, right? We're servants. We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, 
in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Do you see how Paul would describe those who carry the gospel? As it is revealed in his life, he's saying, oh yeah, we're, we're definitely dealing with some things here. We've got some hardships. We've had to have great endurance. There's been afflictions. There's been calamities. There's been beatings. There's been imprisonments. There's been riots. There's been labors. There's been sleepless nights. There's been hunger. Oh, but man, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there has been purity, there has been knowledge, there has been patience, there has been kindness, there has been genuine love, there has been truthful speech, there is the power of God. There is weapons of righteousness, not on my right hand, but in my left hand. God is doing something amazing in me because I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I will proclaim it to those who desperately need to hear it. And I'm, I may be treated as an imposter, but I'm true. I'm true to who God has called me to be. I may be as unknown, but I am well known by him. I might be dying, but behold, I will live. I might be punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich with the good news of Jesus Christ. And having nothing, yet possessing everything. Because I have received Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What can man do to me? Church, are you ashamed of the gospel? No. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the question. How do you know if you're ashamed of the gospel? You don't share it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I may be ashamed for it, but I will not be ashamed. I may, I may look like an outcast, I may look like a crazy religious zealot. I may look like somebody who doesn't know how to have a normal conversation without bringing Jesus into it. But I will not be ashamed of the gospel. And by God's grace, he will use his church to reach those who are lost. Because we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why are we not ashamed? Because we cannot be ashamed. He says in Mark 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're not ashamed. We are found in Christ. Those who have believed, why are we not ashamed? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What an amazing thought that we carry with us the gospel that is the power of God in salvation for those who believe. To the Jew first, and also the Greek. The word power here is the Greek word dunamis, which means 
the word where we get dynamite. You want to know how powerful the gospel is? It's an explosion in someone's life. It totally changes everything. It changes people from the inside out. The gospel message is what God has done and will do for us in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not ashamed of what he's done. The gospel message then is the power of God in verbal form. So why do we proclaim it? Because Romans 10, 17, we're not there yet, but we will get there months from now. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Oh, why do we proclaim? It's the power which saves people who believe. I like how Michael Bird puts it. The gospel is a speech act in that it not only announces the way of salvation, but actualizes the salvation in those who hear it with faith. The gospel manifests God's death-defeating, curse-reversing, evil-vanquishing, devil-crushing, sin-cleansing, life-giving, love-forming, people-uniting, super-uber-mega-grace power that results in salvation. That's good stuff. That's amazing power that is in the gospel. Oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. In verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the, in it is the righteousness of God revealed. Jesus Christ is revealed in the gospel. It reveals the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, not a righteousness of our own so that no one can boast. There is nothing good in me apart from Jesus Christ. The gospel has declared it, and I believe it. And through faith, I receive his righteousness into my life because apart from him, I am hopeless and helpless. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. So he says, from faith, for faith. So from faith, we receive Christ's imputed righteousness. In that moment of faith, when we accept and believe in faith, we are then credited, imputed the righteousness of Christ. So from faith, for faith, to live faith. So 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is nothing in us that is worthy except for Jesus Christ. In him alone. So from faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of salvation is imparted to those who believe for faith. This is your life as a believer. From faith I have received, for faith I will live. I will live by faith. You need faith imputed for faith to be imparted or revealed in your life. Unless Christ has done a work in you, a regeneration in you, a change in your heart, it will never be revealed in your life. It's from faith. For faith. Likewise, you and I need the righteousness of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, imputed for righteousness to be imparted, revealed in our life. We are not righteous. No, none is righteous. No, not one. It's, it is His righteousness imputed to us from faith, for faith. Faith from righteousness, for righteousness. His life lived in and through us. So I want to I read Ephesians 2. As a close here, I want you to understand the power of the gospel, the responsibility of the gospel, and what Christ has done in the gospel. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But God, being rich in mercy, from faith for faith, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith is a quote from Hosea. And it's the divine truth that we are righteous through faith alone because faith is the only means by which we can lay hold of Christ's righteousness. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't work your way up to it. It's from faith. For faith. And by God's grace, it is the righteousness that will hold us, not our righteousness that holds on to him. From faith. For faith. Church, we have a responsibility. We're indebted. We hold something far greater than a million dollars. We hold the good news of the gospel. And it is the power which saves people who hear it with faith. Let me ask you this morning, have you received the gospel? Has there been a moment in your life of an undeniable transformation that has taken place where you have gone from death to life, where he has regenerated your heart, where you know that he has begun to change you from the inside out? Not that you were religious and you were able to take a lot of biblical information and apply it to moral application, but that he has transformed you from the inside out. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that he's placed his Holy Spirit in you and that he has sealed you until a day when you will one day stand before him, not clothed in anything that you've done, but clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision today in faith? Because it's from faith for faith. Number two, have you seen that God has placed in you a spiritual gift if you've said yes to that? That he wants to use you not only for the encouragement of the body, but also for the evangelism of a world who desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given you a voice. He's given you a message. He's given you a testimony. Will you share it? Will you go? Let me ask you, is your life right now living from faith for faith? The life I live, I now live in Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's from faith for faith. Let me ask you, are there things that you need to confess today that you know should not be in your life that are not resulting in a life of faith? That you need to bow at the altar? That you need to turn around and bow at your pew? I, don't, I just want you to respond to the gospel, because the gospel deserves a response, whether you've heard it once or you've heard it a thousand times, because it's the power that saves for those who believe. Church, we, we owe everything to the master whom we serve. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads before you today, as we offer up our lives to you, Lord, today, if there's someone who doesn't know you, 
today from faith, I pray, Lord, that you change their heart, that you bring them into the kingdom of God, Lord, that they would confess their sins and they would lay their life before you and that you would save them. Father, for those who have been living a life where they're hiding the gospel, God, that we would dig it up out of our lives, out of our hearts, and that we would share it with all that we come in contact with. God, that we would live a life that reveals the good news. If there's areas of our life that we need to confess, that you would draw those to our attention right now, that we would, we would pray, that we would repent. Father, help us to be a church that responds. Use us for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?